Love United, hate Glazer. Love winning 6-2. Love our fans getting together and getting high-profile matches cancelled, demonstrating the power of fan protest. Um, oh, oh, you're not on the same page as the broadcasters, Paul. This was hooligans rioting. And and we're not talking about the message of the protest now. We're just talking about the rioters. You see, you're, isn't, isn't that what we're supposed to be talking about? No, Ed, you see, you've made the terrible mistake of moving to a different country. Um, or indeed, if you'd been in this country listening to the BBC. Because somehow, Sky Sports, um, in spite of the best efforts of uh, Dave Jones and Graham Sunez, gave vast amounts of airtime to Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher basically saying, no, no, this is good. <laughs> so it, yeah. was, it was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, of course, there was the, uh, you know, like, so let's, let's set the scene. We're recording this at 6.30, um, which I guess is when we would have been recording anyway, because um, the much. match would just be, just have finished. Um, and uh, what we know so far is that, a vast majority peaceful uh, non-violent protest took place at Old Trafford. Um, uh, the Lowry, the exit to the Lowry was blocked for a long time, although it's a good couple of hours. It'd been clear for a good couple of hours by about five o'clock, apparently. Um, oh, well, look, that can't be right. But anyway, um, then there were there was a group of fans, obviously, that got inside Old Trafford. There were people that got into the building, um, but lots of people on the pitch. There were a few scuffles once police started to um, push protesters back. Well, that's always the way, isn't it? Protesters uh, are peaceful until the fuzz turn up. Yeah, well, yeah, quite. Yeah, uh, basically. Um, that, yes, absolutely. Uh, and um, other than a few bottles being lamped at police people... And it's my favourite thing about all this, I kind of, there was this little rumour going around that they're smashing up Sky cameras inside the building, inside Old Trafford. And I think Sky probably would have made quite a big deal out of that if that had actually happened. What I have seen is footage of somebody uh, yeeting a, a tripod over a barricade. It's like, yeah, all right. I don't think that's smashing up Sky cameras, is it? People mistaking... Uh, the, the tripod, quite cheap. The lens is about £200,000. Yeah, pounds yeah, exactly. On broadcast lenses. But guess what? Sky probably not got them all dotted around from two o'clock in the afternoon and probably uh, bringing them out and sticking them on uh, as, as they get ready to go to air. But anyway, um, you know... There's going to be so much hand-wringing. I've seen it. United fans, there's loads. There's, Of course, you can't... Nothing happens without huge division among supporters. Sure. Um, but uh, I think what we should... I mean, what I would think would be a very valuable use of some of the time in this podcast is to perhaps re-explain some of the stuff around why these protests are happening in, to, in the context of the Glazer ownership. Um, and... Uh, Maybe also discuss the fact that if protests aren't inconvenient, they don't do anything. Well, I, yes, true. I mean, I, I don't know how much of the story we need to reiterate because I, I imagine most of the audience, if they're still with us um, after the past year, and, and some aren't um, for uh, various reasons, but uh, if they're still with us, most of the audience are pretty familiar. But, you know, there's two things to it, aren't there, that we, we need to remember. One is the kind of, underlying um you know dissatisfaction or is that the right word uh, with the glazer ownership you know and that started before they had even taken over um and and has and then the second thing is is the sort of stimulus the catalyst 
or the accelerant of the Super League plans, which you know brought to the fore the the hyper vulture capitalism of the Glazer family and their mm. their desire to wring as much out of this asset as they possibly can, you know, and and this is completely divergent from the history of English football and the values that that most of English football holds or football European around the world yeah, European, football. European football yeah um and and you know the, this is and we've seen protests before of course you know uh, on the takeover 2005 um when the bonds were first issued in 2010 and these these kind of you know um uh, events have have stimulated greater protest the the underlying uh, thing is there um always and you know we've noticed over the last couple of weeks the the green gold has been out again with the flares and the smoke um and that's a that's a message you know co-opted as you so rightfully mentioned on last week's show co-opted by some groups um but uh you know fans are very dissatisfied oh, we've seen protests a different scale a huge one at arsenal they are also dissatisfied uh, with their owners because they're not been very successful, a bit of a joke of a club. Well, just generally, but especially over the last sort of 10 years or so. Um, protests at Chelsea, they're not dissatisfied with their owner. Um, they've got, you know, the uh, sort of benevolent dictator ownership model, which is probably the best one for football, you know, for various different reasons. Um, uh, but they they recognise the, you know, the dangerous um, thing that the Super League represented. So, you know, that's that's all the context for today. Um, this was supposed to be the organised protest, last week being the fancam protest. Sorry, I'm being facetious. Yeah, no, no, it, no, it wasn't. That's not what it was at all. Last week was... An, <laughs> I know. No, it's annoying. It's annoying. It, it's the it's the stupid, snidey... I don't mean you, but the stupid, snidey, smug, uh, ugh, divisive nonsense like no it wasn't it was a, a group of people who were extremely upset about what was happening to their club um gathering to protest outside old trafford because there was an opportunity to do so like that's we're the fan cabs I, I, oh, my tongue is in my cheek folks no, <laughs> my like, tongue is in the, my cheek what's the point though like what's the point why does it always have to degenerate into cynicism like it happens absolutely everywhere all the time you missed the tone, Paul. No, no, um, I didn't. So I heard it. Like it was. It's uh, that's. It's literally what I'm objecting to. All right. Um, and this week being the one that was uh, organised by uh, various groups, yeah. and uh, so the larger one, and and it's it's uh, very hard to keep fans on one page, you know. Yeah. And so the the organised protest with the the banners and stuff was one thing. Um, the I don't think the decision to storm the barricades and uh, uh, such as they were about three stewards and <laughs> and some red fencing and break into Old Trafford, uh, well documented that there hasn't been an awful lot spent on Old Trafford over the years. Yeah. Probably that not that hard to kick down a few mouldy wooden doors, um, as they did in the three places and and get into the and get into the ground, you know. And and uh, Laurie Whitwell um, on Twitter. Not not uh, not involved in the uh, the protests against social media. Apparently, the athletics lorry went well, saying that one of the major reasons why they couldn't play the game is because fans stole all the balls, and there weren't any COVID safe <laughs> balls left. <laughs> it's like a non-league team, isn't it? You know, they boost it over the fence, and they're like, "Can we have our ball back, please?" It's very enjoyable. Yeah, friend of the show, Carl Anker, um, also of the Athletic, was um, uh, um, there. 
in in the protest and did some brilliant coverage of it. So definitely worth checking out his Twitter feed for. Um... Did he uh, did he get on the pitch? <laughs> I'm not sure he uh, he uh, joined that part of the uh, thing. I mean, the, the one there is a sort of forty percent off the athletic subscription and live footage from the pitch. <laughs> there's, there's... He's taking the penalty spot home, hasn't he? There's um, there's some sort of. This is really interesting. Like, what's one of the things that is a bit upsetting about this is I'm sure that the club will absolutely throw the book at the people that got into Old Trafford. Like, when they can identify some of those people, there'll be lifetime bans, there'll be all that kind of stuff. And we should be protesting those consequences as well. But when it was happening, as it was happening, I, I do always think um, this is not a, a criticism of this protest or what was done on this process. I just do think there's a sort of fascinating psychological phenomenon where people completely forget consequence. Like when they are in, there's a kind of perceived safety of, this is what a very literal mob mentality, right? That you, when you're inside the mob, you feel completely um, inviable. But unfortunately, I suspect there's going to be consequences for some of the people that, and I really hope that uh, there's a minimal, minimal consequences. I really hope that there's minimal capacity to identify the people that did well, this. And the, the capacity will be quite high because all the broadcasters were, were had their cameras yeah. on and, uh, well, and all the photographing uh, the kids stealing the corner flats. All the protesters also had their cameras on, to be fair. So, you know. Yeah, identifying themselves, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, it was interesting. I, I, I'm obviously I live in the Pacific Northwest now, and uh, so we have NBC coverage of the Premier League here. Their tone was was interesting because they don't have a Gary Neville or a Jamie Carragher. That's more a voice of the fans, um, and uh, the the tone was sort of you know uh, the uh, the message is now being lost, and it's all about the 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 rioting quote unquote. Um, but uh, <laughs> rioting, they, I know, I know, I know. Quote unquote. Yeah. The, the the they showed a lot of the fan can coverage which they stole from social media and they didn't credit any of the people. Now I don't know that's because they wanted to protect the identities. Uh, or or they were just stealing the footage and didn't want to pay for the rights. Yeah, quite. I mean I think that's built into the terms and conditions of the platforms that the people shared the thing on. More of more of I guess we'll have some discussion about those platforms a little later in the show. Um I mean, one of the things that's interesting is the idea that the message didn't get... I mean, this this probably was because of Carragher and Neville, but um, there was two and a half hours of conversation on Sky about the Glazer ownership. And that's actually just the reason I wanted to just very briefly touch on some of the history, because I'm, I'm sure this doesn't really apply to many people listening to this show, but there are literally broadcasters... You know, Graham Souness is unchallenged on Sky when he talks genuine this is not partisanship he's talking absolute rubbish he's talking about the amount of money the glazers have invested in transfers when everyone listening to this show and every united fan who knows anything about this knows that the glazers haven't invested a single penny of money they have spent some of the money that the club makes and that's it and they've taken out vast fortunes for themselves they bought the club with leveraged debt like what that means is club manchester united from when when what's his name Gibson took over and cleared the debts um, all the way through to 2005. United ran without from I think 1930 something to 1905 ran uh, to 2005 ran with no debt and then suddenly had three quarters uh, of a billion pounds worth of debt leveraged onto the club. They still have about 550 uh, gross debt at the moment. Yeah. By the way, yeah, yeah. right. Um, so look, that I, I mean, I'm 
sorry, going on a tangent, as we like to do on, on the show, uh, look, debt isn't bad per se, because it can be used for something productive. Tottenham have a lot of debt, but they've now built one of the finest stadiums in Europe. A great team uh, in it, and no fans in there, but they've they've got this thing that will be of benefit to the club for many years, presumably, or they hope. United haven't got anything for all that money that's leaked out in debt repayments or interest repayments, uh, fees to the Glazers, dividends to the Glazers, nothing for it at all. You know, the, the cost of, of, of having the Glazers as owners is, is something like 1.5. Um, some of the banners say a bigger number, but whatever. You know, <laughs> once you get to a billion, what difference does it make? Yeah. So and 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 it's 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 caused untold damage and and a lot of the debate about ownership you know I I see this this sort of you know snarky uh, commentary from from some folks in the media uh, saying well all fans want oh it's just Gary Lineker who I think has not um, covered himself in glory through this period um, said something along the lines thanks for your cup final tickets a few <laughs> years ago Gaz but. <laughs> Um, but you know, got to push back a little bit on um, on his on his tone here because uh, you know he basically suggested all fans want is a billionaire to come in and spend loads of money, and of course there are some fans that definitely want that, you know. But there's more nuance to it, and and United, um, given the club's massive fan base and appeal to brands and so on, could be perfectly sust- sustainable, and you know, just about the third richest or in third. Um, you know, most revenue-generating club in Europe and probably the most profitable if that debt wasn't on there and we had owners that, um, that you know, either through fans or a conglomerate or a um, benevolent dictator that, that focused on the club's goals first and not their profit, you know. So it's, it, yeah, we can all see what the club could be and the damage that's being caused, you know, for the the benefit of having the Glazers as owners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the other things is that, that's done the rounds quite a lot today, and, and Sooner says this, and then you, get, you see it get pick, picked up on social media, um, often by fans of rival clubs, um, that United's fa- fans wouldn't be doing this if we were winning. And it's like, in 2005, we were six years away from, you know, we, we, we were going to win the the European Cup again in three years after that, but we were were only six years away from winning the treble, like, and we'd won two league titles or maybe even three between then and that time. Um, so I think two. Anyway, um, the the point being uh, that people left the club to start a new club. That's the extent of how upset people were. This this isn't about success. In two thousand and ten, the the biggest protest that there's been against the Glazers from then till today happened in a European quarterfinal. We won 6-2 on aggregate. Like, talking of which, 6-2 on aggregate, European <laughs> European ties, very fashionable these days. Um, but the point being, like, it's complete nonsense that United's anger with the Glazer family is entirely based on the relationship between the club and success. Sure. And then, look, there's some... Nuance there. If the and they won't, by the way, but it, you know, let's let's go for an extreme hypothetical. If the if the Glazer family, um, you know, put the thumbs up or greenlit a whole bunch of spending this summer, of course, the narrative might change a little bit. You know? Oh yeah, um, sure. Uh, if Erling Haaland turns up at Old Trafford, we'll be talking about that. Um, 
and, and and of course that factors into how big the protests can uh, could get or you know the stimulus for it because uh, it's hard to sustain that kind of movement but but you can see the underlying dissatisfaction. People understand the damage that has been caused to this club. You know, you only need to go to Old Trafford to see the leaky roofs to understand some of it. Um, it's not just about what's on the pitch. And, and Gary Neville said it in his his um, his Sky commentary earlier. Yeah, they showed a clip of it where he's saying, you know, it might look nice from the perspective of the cameras right now, but uh, look around and the place is old. You know, which was good investment. As not and Carrington is. Carrington is not in the top 10 of training grounds. You know, uh, players, prospective players, agents, all like, well, this feels a bit quaint, doesn't it? Because it's not at that kind of elite super club level. And and the investment off the pitch and the investment on it um, to a different degree have, have not been what it could be without, you know, the Glazers as owners. Yeah. And, you know, it was good that Neville said that because that was another one of the nonsense points that Sooner spouted. He kind of, he, you know, they're sat on their little platform that they've got inside the stadium now so they can do sort of social distance stuff. Um, and they, you know, he was looking around going, you know, this place, what they've spent on this place. Like, somebody show him the numbers, what they've spent on this place. Somebody show him that clip of the uh, the roof leaking last season. Like, the, what they've spent on that place. Nowhere near the money that needs spending on it to make it anything like a kind of uh, 21st century elite club ground, you know. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've uh, done bits of repair over the years. So they... They've uh, kept the executive facilities up because that's their most profitable customers. So then they kind of have to do that. Otherwise, uh, they can't they can't charge what they want to for that. They had to spend some money on moving um, the uh, you know, accessible seating areas uh, and expanding that. Um, they haven't spent money on expanding the stadium since um, the the corners were put in, quadrants were put in, and that was already greenlit before they they became sort of owners. So, and the the last really big expansion was obviously the third tier in the mid nineties. So, it's a late nineties. It, it's been it's been you know years and years, uh, and yeah, the latent demand for for United uh, tickets is um, you know still really strong, uh, and you see what other clubs are doing around the and around Europe. I mean, what they're doing at the Bernabeu, despite having that nine hundred million euros worth of partly because. Um, uh, it, you know, it's going to look stunning um, and United aren't keeping up on that front. Um, and on the pitch, yeah, money has been spent for sure, mostly really badly because the, the structure of the club has been a total disaster. And we'll see whether it's going to change with Murtar and and uh, Darren Fletcher in, in these new roles. But, um, you know, it's been outdated off the pitch, about in outdated on it. It's, the structure of the club has been outdated and because it all has to go through Tampa um, and and the first and overriding factor all the time is can they pay their 20 to 22 million pounds worth of dividends because the Glazers obviously live off that cash. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, you know, even though there has been money spent on the pitch thing, it's like really and truly the kind of net spend isn't it's not that high. And definitely the kind of percentage spend against revenue it, it's certainly not that high, so you know. Yeah, and it won't be that high this summer for sure. And it'll be uh, because their, their Super League plans have been disrupted, and they're not going to get all that cash that they were expecting to from J.P. Morgan. 
um, and COVID gives them a, a convenient excuse. So, but I think I think um, that's we signed by Ian Cavani up to new an extra year, so it's two new players, folks. I mean, that is something to celebrate, by the way. Um, so yeah. yeah, let's not be snarky about Edison Cavani staying another year. That's absolutely vitally fantastic news. Um, and also Eric Bailly, like you know. I don't care what they pay him. They've got to keep everybody around for the content. Um, but the uh, the the point about um, the amount of money they'll spend this summer is really interesting. And I wonder if the picture, if the landscape changes, because they've got two choices. Well, they've got three choices, the Glazers. They can carry on as they were and um, these protests will rumble. Things might get really nasty. There's, you know, I don't think this is the last we've seen of protests right now, especially with the kind of successful outcome of getting the game postponed. Um, Secondly, and the amount of attention and coverage and all that things that the message has got, um, that's option, option one is to carry on and hope that the protests just peter out. Option two is to sell. And option three, which has been some little bits of kind of scuttlebutt about is to try and buy the fans off basically to try and you know what we're we're trying to rebuild trust rebuild um if they really want to do that they've they've only got one option they've got to start acting like owners that want to win stuff and um you know at that point the relationship between the fans and the club changes completely but that's you there's no reason to suspect that's going to happen after 16 years in charge no, why? Why would they? They they they're still going to pay themselves a dividend despite the uh, the huge drop off in revenues caused by COVID. So they, I don't, I don't think their their priorities haven't changed. The outlook. I mean, it's it's only a couple of weeks since they they had to pull out of the the Super League. You know, that says everything about what they are as as owners. Uh, they they couldn't give a shit about trust. You know, mm. they 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 have to. They had to be sort of. Um, some reconciliation there because brands are using United to get to those fans. That's the point. Mm. Um, you know, not just the guys protesting today, but but all around the world. You know, United is a media property that happens to have football as its its you know primary product, as they often tell investors. And and uh, the the idea that um, you know, and fans are part of the product. By the way, this is why there's there was uh, discounts. Um, gained by BT and Sky and Amazon in the UK and and from international broadcasters around the world because it's part of the product that's being sold so you know they they understand that much at least um we we may or may not have seen the last of the super league i mean i'm sure they'd love to repackage it in some way that's more palatable that had the endorsement of uefa in some you know way it's, it's not going to be for a few years uh, but i don't you know to come to your point again I don't. I don't see their relationship with United supporters changing fundamentally. I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if there's any significant spending this summer that's not financed by player sales. Gobsmacked. I just. Yeah. I'd be. I just. Can't, I can't see it. You know, there isn't. There for a start, there isn't the cash at hand. They have a 125 million pound sort of facility they can use. Maybe they'd use it. Maybe. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Um, but uh, but that doesn't change the underlying problem with their ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the I just wanted to touch on again this thing about protest and the nature of protest because I don't know. I was reading a cricket magazine, right? And 
I don't even know why I'm, why I'm introducing it with this subject, but... I w- no, no, it's good because, you know, you go to a county game and there's a couple of hundred guys, old guys doing sit-down protests there every yeah. game, you know. Silent, silent protests. And they were talking about a Muslim player who'd had beer poured on over him in a celebration at the end of last season. And I don't think a great deal was made of this. It was a... It was an unfortunate incident and an example of a kind of cultural blindness that happens across lots of areas of society and not particularly surprising that it happens in county cricket. Um, But the the little write-up written by an old white man was... it was about this player and what a promising player he was and what a good season he's likely to have. And it said he reacted sensibly to that incident. And it just, it got under my skin to such an extent. This like reaction policing all the time. Like, did they did they react to the abuse, the intolerance, the uh, ignorance? Did they react properly? That's the key. If, oh, you were racially abused. Did you react properly to that racial abuse? I'm not talking about this player. <laughs> yeah, be the good immigrant. Exa- exactly, uh, right? Uh, and and this is, it's this, this you get this with protest all the time. It's like, oh, this is good, but that's not good. Where, and everyone's line is different. Some people would be like, oh, why are they having a protest during COVID? You know, that would be the the defining line for some people. For other people, it'd be like, no, no, that part of it was good. But when they went inside, oh, that was good. Wasn't good. Or, for example, yeah, no, it's good they protest against Glazer ownership, but they shouldn't sing, he's going to die, they're going to die. You know, that's that. That's the... That's the line for some people. And for others, it's damage to property or whatever, 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 whatever. Like no protest ever is going to marry up with everyone's line. And, you know, for me, I have lines too. If they'd um, gone around like, you know, stabbing sky pundits or whatever, then uh, that would have been across my line. Like... Or even Graham Souness. Yes, literally even Graham Souness in spite of, you know, other things. Um, But even in spite of that... um, uh, you know, everyone has a line. Uh, no, it's and, look, yeah, I, but, I, look, I totally agree with you, and and that's part of the reason why the reaction can be so infuriating. Yeah. Of course, I mean, you're not, you're not, your line is normally that edgy joke went a bit far for me. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, ha- hacking up sky pundits. No uh, for me, like, um, my my line personally and i'm only talking about personally i'm a, a believer in actual sit-in protest like i'm i'm a believer that chaos begets chaos and violence begets violence that's what i believe but i don't i don't think i should sit here and watch these and go oh no 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 they've gone too far by getting on the pitch and scoring a goal in at the stretford end and getting more minutes on the old well, trafford pitch than donny sh- struggling Bay. to score a goal one of them <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a few uh wobbly attempts i'd say i, I would have quite liked uh, Boyle chaining himself to the uh, goalposts. And... <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that they got the game cancelled. And to me, I, I felt like as soon as they'd got into the stadium, because of COVID, the game wasn't going to happen now. Because now you've got the whole ground and area and, you know, all of that stuff. It's supposed to be sort of a bubble, isn't it? And now it's not. Yeah, they, they probably could have sanitised it and got the game going in the evening. But, but someone um, stole but, all the yeah. balls. <laughs> someone stole all the balls. Yeah, they're talking about it. It's not secure. They couldn't because that, I assume, damage to doors. Um, although, you know, they cleared the forecourt area and the protest seemed to be over, basically. Uh, and and they stole all the balls. I'm sure they could have, you know, driven some over from Carrington. It's you know, 15 minutes away. Um, Sanitised them quickly with some Dettol or something. Anyway, yeah, um, it's 
I don't know whether you have anything more to to say about the protest, but but we do have a problem with the game now and when it can happen, right? Uh, which 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 looks rather difficult, to be honest. Uh, United do have a free weekend on the fifteenth of May, uh, but Liverpool are playing on that Sunday. So basically, it looks like our options are to shift that game, that Liverpool game, if they'd if they'd go for it. And I'm sure Jurgen Klopp would have a few uh, intolerant things to say about that. Um, to like the Monday or the Tuesday because I don't think Liverpool play that week uh, and to play that game on like a Friday night or something like that, um, which would be, uh, I mean, you know, challenging from a fixture point of view because United have Leicester on the Wednesday. Maybe they could shift that back a day um, or play it tomorrow. And so when this, this uh, and they might do that, I don't know whether they can turn it around quick enough, um, but uh, playing it on the Monday would be, uh, very sensible, I'd say, from everyone's point of view. Uh, and so this game might have happened by the time we uh, actually get this podcast out. Might have done an emergency addendum on this. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully... I, I really hope we don't have to do an emergency addendum on this other than the Glazer family have announced today that they're selling 49... Well, 49.9%. No, 50.1% of their stake to an independent funds supporters group. Then we'll do a bonus show, but hopefully we won't have to do one about actually, no, it turns out loads of people were murdered and it was really bad. Like, I really hope that isn't the case, um, obviously. And I just, I don't think that seems like that's the thing that's happened. Uh, in terms of the fixtures, yeah, it's it's hard to get too worked up about it, isn't it? Because, I mean, especially for me, you know, it's much worse for Liverpool than it is for United because we don't need these points. They're a complete and utter luxury to United. Leicester drew. United are finishing second in this table by sleepwalking themselves into second place at this point. Uh, Maybe not. Lose to Liverpool, lose to Leicester, and it's going to be a bit tight, you know. For second. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no. Maybe if we lose these two games, at least one of which we're fairly likely not to lose, and these teams all win all their games. Do you know what I mean? Like the league's done, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, I know. Sure. Uh, so yes, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think there were supposed to be fans back uh, on the nineteenth for the Fulham game. I don't know that it's um, actually been announced, but. Um, it would be allowed under government rules at that stage because the previous times we've had fans were test events, um, strictly speaking. Yeah. So after May the 17th, we could have fans. I, I think it's a quarter or up to 10,000, something like that. Um, and I might be wrong about the exact numbers, but something like that, some some level of fans. But I don't know if I'm, if I'm the club right now, I think they might be looking at a bunch of excuses not to let fans back in. Absolutely. Because I'm sure if they're, I I cannot imagine this will be the last of the protests. I really can't. I guess that's the last thing I want to say about them. And they kind of can't be. And actually, you know, it's very interesting because this is a direct action protest. And what we have in, this has happened simultaneously with um, a bunch of, uh, well, all the Premier League clubs, all the players, as far as I know, uh, Teams all the way down the football pyramid uh, engaging in a social media blackout this weekend. Lots of football media as well engaging in a social media blackout this weekend um, to protest about uh, the racial abuse of players, specifically on social media platforms. Um, 
And, you know, I've seen a lot of discourse about this and I don't know at all how I feel about it. I've seen people very angry about the idea of using silence as a protest. I saw people com- comparing it to the um, the Black Lives Matter um, thing where people posted just a black square. And now if you search on Instagram for the hashtag Black Lives Matter, the top results is just all those squares so you can't actually you know it takes a long time to find any meaningful information out which i get the objection there i i think um and also i've seen people call this an empty performative gesture and i think there's a very good chance it's an empty performative gesture this is it's certainly not direct action it's a it's a protest designed to apply pressure to social media companies whether that will have any merit or not who knows Yeah, and as we talked about in the last show, it's a narrow, very narrow goal there. Mm. It's not going to solve racism um, uh, in society or in football. uh, But it does say, you know, you monetize our engagement on these platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, others. And we're going to take away some of the ability for you to monetize this platform for a short period of time. Mm. Now, you know, whether football community um, and everything around it, you know, clubs, associations, players fans um and so on would be willing to go further media um i don't know you know the it was we were chatting on the the whatsapp group about the the mixed bag of um of uh media and fans that are included in this this you know cuz strictly speaking it was clubs that were doing this um and some and players had uh, we didn't make any announcement on any of our social channels mainly cuz i kind of forgot to and time difference I didn't know when it was starting, um, but we haven't posted anything. And, I, didn't, you know, it's just a one weekend, like fairly in, inconsequential in the life of uh, of uh, football, the issue or, or um, NQAT's social channels mm. to to not engage for one weekend. Um, whether it goes further, we'll see, you know. And it was kind of interesting, I thought, because I was, I was scrolling through different communities on Twitter to try and work out who was involved in this and who mm. wasn't. Yeah, and and you know, not calling anyone in specifically out, by the way. But also, I don't, I don't think there's anything to be called out. I think choosing to opt out of no. this is perfectly sensible. I mean, sure. I, I've heard some behind the scenes stuff about some, which I will remain entirely undiscussed, but about some institutional decisions and some uh, very strong opinions in multiple directions about. Uh, whether institutions should be partaking in this and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, um, this is hopefully, uh, well, uh, you know, my God, this is a conversation that desperately needs uh, to... This is something that has to move from being a conversation to some meaningful change taking place because, the, the, you know, sure. and, and how you do that, I just think... This is a, a bafflingly complex subject. So, Well, it is, but also, I mean, in the, the again, narrow uh, view of, of abuse on social yeah. media, racist abuse on yeah. social media, the social media platforms have money, people, and technology yeah. that they can apply to. They can. Yeah. They can. I know it. Um, I have many friends who work for these companies, and uh, and we've seen in other areas, so... Um, you know, after various whistleblowing incidents, um, uh, particularly at Facebook um, and use of WhatsApp, and say, I'm just going to give one example to organise um, uh, the uh, counter response uh, to uh, say the Rohingya community in Myanmar, right? For example, right? Um, I hadn't thought through my thoughts, so I'm not being super clear, but 
um, these platforms were used to um, spread disinformation uh, in support of the military action in Myanmar. Right. Against this community, right? So in that situation, Facebook was absolutely complicit in the violence and death that happened. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and it was, and the whistleblowers came out and kind of explained what Facebook was doing on the inside, which was absolutely nothing. In, re- in response, they've sort of done some stuff, right? You know, they've got more people doing content moderation, more local language, more algos um, applied to it, and a sort of ethics council and so on. Yeah, and we can discuss forever whether that's appropriate or enough, or really going to make any real change or not. Um, but anyway, just one example that social media companies can. Um, uh, mobilize their vast resources uh, and and more vast than you can possibly imagine given their stock prices mm. have all gone up so much this year um, to solve these challenges. You know, we shouldn't have the situation where a black player posts something and it's followed by a bunch of monkey emojis and bananas mm. and it happens all the yeah. time. Um, and, you know, that, that can be wiped out really quickly. They manage to apply their resources. We've used the example over and over again, if I post a video of um, some Premier League match highlights on Twitter today, that's gone within the and hour. And so is your account. 100%. You do it again tomorrow. Yeah, and so is my account. I'll be suspended. Yeah. yeah. If I, and I'm not going to, but, you know, hypothetically, if I posted a bunch of racist abuse, it'd stay there forever, probably, until someone complained. Yeah. And that's, the, you know, this this thing about, like... Um, there's a really interesting conversation between Alan Shearer and uh, Ian Wright, which did the rounds. And, you know, uh, Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, by the way, Alan Shearer, man, this guy's a 50 year old white guy. Who, I mean, we, we talked about this in relation to his punditry. Um, and I guess it shouldn't be surprising of someone who kind of really tried to maximize themselves in their career. But this guy's like tried to learn to be a better pundit over the years uh, and succeeded, I think. But it's really like, honestly openly listening and not you know saying oh but what about this and what about that and it was very moving that aspect of it i thought um but you know he was saying like do you do you report it and ian wright said no because well how could you to be your job it's just be all you were ever doing is exposing yourself to vile abuse and reporting it like that that shouldn't surely that can't be on the people who are subjected to this level of abuse and you know we talk about racism because that's obviously but like women in football jesus christ you know the same the same thing just endless yeah. and other uh you know marginalized communities in various different ways so like this is yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right to say this is not an insoluble problem, is it? This is a an inso- an unsolvable problem. Um, this is a problem that can be solved, uh, or at least significantly addressed within the sphere of social media in particular. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a mini mini break. Are, are we doing ads these days? Can't remember. <laughs> Um, or not? <laughs> I, I mean, they're horrible. They're Whatever. horrible, aren't they? I hate them so much. They are. So you know. Yeah. Well, we may have a discussion over the summer whether we uh, decide to go back to an ad-free yeah. model or not. Um, but but uh, let's take a mini break. And don't we can buy any of the, Don't talk. buy any of these products if there are any ads here, unless you really, unless you want <laughs> yeah, or down with uh, this yeah, unless you thing. want or need them for something. <laughs> like yeah. Um, mini break, and then we'll talk about Roma past game and upcoming yeah. game. Right. Um, 
it seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? I mean, um, everything's a long time ago in football these days because we'd have to do a daily pod and we'd still be out of date uh, with everything that's moving because there's just so much football and so much stuff going on. But uh, United played Roma. The yeah, they night. did. Um, they did. And well, they played Roma for about 45 minutes. The first 45 was pretty crap. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I looked at the team sheet. I thought, uh oh, it's McFred. Uh, I can see where United are going to have problems with this game. Um, certainly in progressing the ball going forward. It's like it's the thing we talked about in the preview that I thought was uh, not going to be good. Um, and it was dreadful that first. Apart from time. the goal, Utterly the United dreadful. goal was Apart absolutely goal. brilliant as well. Like it just, it was kind of a, it's kind of a foreshadowing, like dramatic, some sort of dramatic. Um, uh, I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. Uh, you know, when you set. Foresight. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it was foreshadowing it. Foresight. A device. Well, uh, yeah, device. yeah. Is That's it, uh, the word I was trying to think of. It's a dramatic yes. device to set up the rest of the game um, and finished absolutely beautifully by Bruno Fernandes. Well, uh, the first time ball from Cavani. Not not his best lovely. pass of the evening, by the way. <laughs> no, um, uh, but very good. Yeah. And um, and then the beautiful finish from Bruno Um He's, he's, yeah, we talked a little bit about his form dropping off a bit because it had, uh, but that was, that was lovely. And his numbers are still absolutely stunning. Oh, yeah. You know, he's, he's scoring at one and two, one in two for a midfielder. Um, then the assists on top, you know, he, he said his goal is to have goals plus assists equaling number of games. I don't think he's going to quite make that this season, but um, it's still very good. Yeah, that was, that was beautiful. But then after that, it was a bloody mess. Um, the, the pen... Um, Paul Pogba, I thought, was very funny afterwards. He seems to be in a good place at the moment, not not just um, on the pitch, but off it. As they put him up uh, for sort of media interviews quite a bit yeah. recently, um, saying afterwards he's he's got to learn how to tackle, he's got to learn how to tackle without arms. Um, I had a lot of sympathy for him because it's 100% a pen in, under the current rules because it's uh, sort of unnatural, much in the, the way the uh, Premier League came out and said... Uh, that uh, Scott McTominay's uh, tickle of uh, Young Song Min's eye um, was not his normal running style. <laughs> uh, I think that was the quote. <laughs> very, very funny response to that, by the way, from uh, Ollie Solskjaer, which we didn't talk about at the time. What did he say? Um, oh, he said, he said, this is how I run. You've got to watch the <laughs> right. video because it doesn't work in audio. This is how I run, <laughs> waving his arms around. Um, like a maniac. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so Pogba, quite funny in his response to that penalty. And, you know, it just kind of, I think that one exposes a stupid rule uh, because clearly he's he's sliding in and he's trying to block with his legs and it just happens to be, it's very hard to do that with your arms down by your side. One one little interesting side note about that particular interview is I'm almost sure he forgot what a penalty was given against him for. Because he says, I try to tackle, tackle like British defenders, like English in the English style. I'm no good at it. Because he keeps giving away penalties all the time. He says, I'm just not going to tackle anymore. And then she says, oh, what did you think of the handball? And you can see it flash across his eyes. And he remembers why a penalty was given after all. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and put my arm down quicker. You know, But I, it's very strange, isn't it? When the rule when the rule gives a penalty for something that is a completely reasonable decision on the part of the player and he didn't he couldn't have done anything differently and yet a penalty is given for it and it's correctly given for it because it's a penalty his his hand is in in an unnatural silhouette because it's just in yep. fact 
it's actually him trying to get his hand down quickly that causes him to hit the ball. It's when he's his hands on the way down. There's no there's no sense in which he's trying to illegally gain an advantage. But yeah, a horrible and stupid rule in it, but a penalty and. And then a nice bit of play from Roma for the second goal, sort of on the half hour, and Eden Zeko um, sort of misses the ball and, it, and his leg in the follow-through knocks it into the net. It would have been quite funny if he'd missed from a yard out, but um, the build-up was very good, wasn't it? Um, sort of working around United's rather static defence, uh, a problem that should be solved in the summer transfer market and definitely won't be because Eric Bailly has signed a new contract. Um, so, uh, but that was as bad as it got, really. And I, you know, at half time, my feeling was, well, you know, the solution to this is to to get more progression in midfield. It's not really the goals conceded that are the problem, but United's inability to put any pressure on Roma, despite having a lot of possession in that first half, it was sort of inconsequential possession. Yeah, there um, was, and and you know, I felt that moving Pogba back into the centre of midfield would have been the answer, but they didn't do that, and they didn't need to do that. Um, and in fact, Pogba being in this new position, sort of on the left of the front front three, seems to have, you know brought new life into him. It's caused some problems for Marcus Rashford, and it did this whole game, um, uh, you know. And it's it's not great. He he runs into blind alleys, uh, Rashford, and gets very isolated in that position on the right uh, because he can't cut inside to the same you know dangerous effect really. Uh, but it's liberated Pogba. Um, and they just went out with the same team. Um, apparently, Oli was not throwing teacups and uh, letting the hairdryer rip, but uh, simply reminded them of the basics of their game. Um, and it worked, you know, to devastating effect in that second half. Yeah, um, I guess worth saying from for in terms of Roma's uh, second goal, uh, Luke Shaw marginally out of position, uh, playing them on side more than made up for by his overall performance in that game, which I thought was utterly remarkable i guess we'll before we finish we'll talk about some of the really good individual performances but that goal also i mean this wasn't the worst example of this and i'm not sure it's that straightforward but um i think united's defense as a whole misses dean henderson when david de gea plays now which is like quite an odd thing to be thinking and saying although not actually odd based on the reality of what it's been like to have david de gea as the keeper for the last two years yeah, yeah, it's actually, I mean, just, um, I mean, that point is really important, I think, just aside from the merits of Henderson as a goalkeeper and the fundamentals of his game, his communication, I think, is is pretty key, actually. You know, it's streets ahead of the hairs, and that's it's a really important part of goalkeeping. Um, if only we could get a pacey defender alongside, I presume, Maguire, um, then... Um, then they'd be able to push another 10, 15 yards higher up the pitch. And that would make a really big difference, a really big difference to how United were able to compress the play and, and um, force transitions. Um, not quite there yet. Didn't really need it against Roma, to be honest, because they were, I mean, as good as United were, and United were brilliant in that second half, Roma were pretty pathetic. I mean, um, Fonseca, Paolo Fonseca, the manager afterwards, saying, like, we just completely lost our mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's obviously you know something very fragile amongst this team at the moment. Yeah, I mean they 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 I think they did they make three subs in the first half. Like 
It was yeah, it definitely didn't no, help. No, and them. and and um, so Pogba had a shot which had forced a good save at one all, and then at the end of the first half, Cavani had that chance where he intercepted the ball as the Roma player kicked it out, and then he didn't he didn't uh, manage to capitalise that. But the equaliser, United's equaliser, is an absolute masterpiece of a goal. Um, it's uh, Pogba finds Bruno, and Bruno pulls off a no look wrong foot pass which slightly bobbles because of the no look wrong footness but completely wrong foots the defense and Cavani's reaction to the slight bobbling is to get over the ball and guide it into the top corner and this was I mean this was as good as center forward players we've seen at Manchester United since you know Rooney Van Nistelrooy Van Persie I guess Van Persie it's not that long ago but yeah um but it- <laughs> no I know I know I mean it is it's, it's seven, seven. Yeah, years right. Now, yeah, eight but it's years. not quite as far back as Van Nistelrooy. But it was absolutely elite centre forward play, and his yeah, just a yeah. I mean, it's just an utterly brilliant goal. And in fact, his his second, which is much less flashy, was really good centre forward play because it's him that's uh, closest to the ball and quickest as the keeper spills it out trying to defend the cross. Yeah, for sure. Look. Um... You, you know, not not to keep zooming out to the bigger picture, but but I, I'm assuming that United are not going to be putting a bid in for Erling Haaland this summer. Much as Oli Solskjaer might want him, and much as um, he might he might be the right player. I mean, and talk about whether he'd fit into the system that Oli's been trying to build or not. Um, but you know, he's another elite finisher that United have have missed. You know, for all the talent that there is in Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial, their talent lies elsewhere other than finishing half chances in the box yeah, basically yeah. that's basically their weakness on both of them um and and Cavani has brought that and you know his body isn't quite up to it he can't play every game he wasn't going to play today's game against Liverpool doesn't he could have done really because he's not really needed against Roma um, I'm th- assuming the four goal cushion is going to be good enough oh my god Finger, fingers touch, crossed touch I'm so scared yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but but clearly they're trying to protect him because um, there'll be a final to play coming up. They want him fit. They're going to need him, and uh, you know, and and that kind of elite finishing that he's still got despite his body sort of falling apart is is really important. And it's great that he's seems like he's going to sign up for another year um, because dot 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 United aren't going to spend a hundred million. Well, more like one hundred and fifty plus all the agents fees on bringing Erlen Haaland in. Not this summer, probably not ever. Um, so they're pushing their problem there out another year, and it, and it, he's an important part of the squad for that, you know. So and got better over the year as he's got fitter. <laughs> so with that uh, tangent uh, on uh, the future of the football club, <laughs> hey, this this podcast would not be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's partly I I need to see the big picture all the time, but uh, you know, and and we could zoom back into the yeah. goal. So let's, let's talk about. United's uh, third goal, shall um, we? Uh, yeah, that was the the that was the uh, equaliser. That was the equaliser. Was the, uh, the third was the tap in, so that one that's fine. Yep. Um, the fourth was ah uh, the pen. Listen, it's worth saying at this point that that good players FC versus bad players FC is fairly finely balanced in this tie, as bad players FC have contributed. I mean, not so much to the first goal, but the second goal was was vintage bad. The second Roma goal, vintage bad players, and then up the other end of the pitch, good players just doing absolute bits to kind of pull their weight. But what we didn't reckon upon in this one is 
Bad Players FC lifetime emeritus Chris Smalling uh, giving away a penalty, playing a player on side for a goal, missing the run of a player. Like, he just fell apart in the second half. And I really personally have a lot of affection for Chris Smalling. I think he very much tried his best throughout his time at United. But this was an absolute slap in the face to people that say that um, it was a bad decision on Solskjaer's part to let him leave. I mean, Agent Smalling. Thank you, Mike. Um, <laughs> great work. Uh, he had an absolute disaster class of a game, didn't he? It and, was rough. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it was just you know he's he just had one of those games that he's had over the years. Sometimes he he could be a bit brainless um, thinking about that red card against City. Haven't mm-hmm. forgotten that one, Mike. Um, and and sometimes just you know he's uh, he's just not good enough. But he might be an overawed with the occasion as well. You know, back at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. we spent many many years, of course. Um, for the first time since leaving permanently, also had his uh, you know, had his house broken into recently in what apparently is pretty traumatic yeah, circumstances, you know, and and that of course is going to fo- uh, affect anyone's focus. Um, so you know, uh, like sympathy from that perspective, but great work also, <laughs> like helping us along the I way. I saw some people sort of saying it was a bit of a soft penalty, but like. He's clattered Cavani. I mean, I mean, it's it's about whether Cavani's in control of the ball, I guess. But Cavani's trying the like little back heel behind behind himself, and really, he just can't ever get his footing because Smalling goes into the back of him. Like, I guess it's it it, it doesn't matter anywhere else on the pitch. That's that's yeah, a free kick, hundred percent every single yeah. time. Um, doesn't matter whether he's in control of the ball. He's he's followed through on the player. So yeah. So Ollie didn't make um, make big changes at halftime, but the the whole team came out with this kind of renewed purpose, and they really put their um, pedal to the metal. Lots of people telling me on Twitter, it's not good players FC versus bad players FC. It's first half FC versus second half FC, and second half FC smashed it. But he did make a change relatively early. I mean, there, there was the fourth goal, which was a an absolutely fantastic uh, a fantastic cross in uh from bruno to paul pogba it's, uh fifth oh goal. that was the fifth, fifth goal what was the fourth was the penalty yeah. right yeah yeah fourth lost, was lost the track. um beautiful beautiful ball in from bruno and potentially crucial you know uh, even at that point you're thinking having a three goal cushion without having two away goals makes you feel a lot better than if we had a, a two goal lead you know um with them oh, having sure. two goals on away goals in spite of our excellent form um, away from home and then Ollie brought on the kid uh, Mason Greenwood came on and Edinson Cavani placed uh, a pass have you ever played the game score where you have to like draw a line on the, on the phone yeah. oh yeah so it's this game where it's on a phone and you use a touch screen to draw a line and the shape that you want the pass to go and Edinson Cavani fully just drew the line from the outside of his boot to exactly where he wanted the ball to go and a brilliant finish from Greenwood to make it 6-2 and uh, just absolute triumphant night yeah so there was an who was who had the header after before that when uh, Bruno put one in with the outside of his foot? It's kind of lofted, chipped outside of his foot from the uh, left hand side of the penalty area. Across. Not the Pogba goal. Um, no, it wasn't the Pogba right. goal, was it? I mean, the ball from Bruno no, was, from the right hand side was, of the box yeah. for Pogba's headed goal. Yes. Was brilliant. I don't remember that one. Uh, I think maybe Marcus Rashford headed it over. I can't remember right. at this point. Uh, I'm getting old, folks. So. Um, <laughs> These things uh, bypass me sometimes, but, uh, you know, that was a beauty as well. 
Um, he's, he feels like, I mean, certainly from that game, feels like Bruno's getting his mojo back a, a little bit. Absolutely. Just at the right time as well. Well, you know, the, I guess the only game that really counts is, well, the Liverpool game for Pride and then May 26th, the Europa League final. Hey, Don't want to jinx it, We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Europa League final against uh, the romantic team of Arsenal. I mean, not necessarily. Perhaps. Arsenal are currently losing in the... Uh, I mean, they've got an away goal, but they are currently losing they, that They tie. got absolutely battered in that game, by the way, Arsenal did against Villarreal, who are a good side, despite being, you know, uh, I think it's ninth in or eighth or ninth in La Liga at the moment. Um, they're a good side. Uh, it's going places under Emery. And um, there's a great quote from Paul Torres. One of the options that United could go for defensively. Right. Um, very nice um, very talented left-sided central defender. Um, that's United interested in about 400 uh, Spanish central defenders at the moment. Um, saying after the game, I don't know what happened in this game. Um, we, we absolutely killed them. How could it end like this? Because Arsenal getting a late goal there to make it 2-1 and, and tie very much alive. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you'd have to say that Mason Green making it 6-2. United, a team that, you know, honestly, even if we'd had a two-goal lead, it would only have been historical pessimism. There, there wouldn't really have been any reason to believe that we, you know, the team that's won, like, hasn't lost away from home for 100 years or whatever it is, is really going to surrender a 2-0 lead against a, a side that, um, but Roma would have would have given us a game in a way that's going to be really really hard for them to do. Basically, it, it is. I mean, they would have, they would have come out and attacked and it had been set up nicely for United to to hit them on the counter, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, but a four goal lead, yeah, they you know I I don't know. I I think it will probably feel quite um, quite a bit like a lame duck of a game. It should do. Hopefully, mm. hopefully it does. Um, I mean, they'll yeah, be and... they'll be playing for pride, especially Solskjaer upset them by saying he didn't know too much about them. Um, I know they, they, that was taken. We did, I, that was taken totally out of context. He's basically that's that's social English. He's saying he's basically saying I haven't had enough time because we play a game every two days um, to do a lot of video analysis. You know, he wasn't saying I don't know anything about. I've Roma. never heard of fucker. I've never heard of <laughs> never Totti heard of or Julius Caesar or the, the you know yeah uh, a Rubicon cross <laughs> yeah. there by Solskjaer. <laughs> oh, that was lovely. History cast, folks. I, I could tell you a lot about. Uh, I have a penchant for um, for Roman history. So. Basically, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has walked into uh, the Treby Fountain and gone forget the forget the Roman civilization. To paraphrase, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, and then he said, uh, "A two Bruno," as Bruno sticks in the beautiful <laughs> ball. Oh, it's good. I was trying to think of an Ides reference quickly, but I didn't get there. <laughs> too bad. Oh, yeah, no, we're a month after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two weeks yeah. after. Anyway, anyway, so look, um, yeah, Mason scores the sixth, and and I think that that properly kills the tie, and we can all book our flights to Gdansk. Are, are we allowed? Are fans going to be allowed into the the final? I think I think probably they are. I'm not quite sure of the situation in Poland right now. Uh, apparently, what it's not. They were saying on the commentary of this game. This is the only place I heard this. Is that currently the situation? Obviously, we know the situation can change pretty quickly with coronavirus, but currently that situation is looking relatively good in Poland. So hopefully that be. I wonder who can get a ticket and uh, whether I can get a flight from Seattle to Gdansk. Seems unlikely. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Are you. We are, we are, we are as a community not letting you do what you did last time, which is 
you know, the the volume, the the speed at which you had to act and the impact on uh, the financial sensibility or not of that decision to last minute go to the Europa League final. Hey, look, going to Europa League final, buying a basically a first class ticket via Riga on Air Baltic. <laughs> Very interesting airline, by the way. <laughs> um yeah, perfectly sound financial decision. Uh, but, I, you know, I had a great time in that final with um, uh, Neil and John, um, who I've kept in touch with ever since. I actually saw them in Hong Kong about, oh, I don't know, 18 months ago. So, so we only meet in far-flung <laughs> places around the world. Um, uh, nice. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know whether we'll all be uh, uh, getting together in Gdansk <laughs> or not. Um, I'm, I'm not sure of the uh, – I'm not even sure whether I – sh- I assume it would be quite difficult from the States, but – it's not going to be know. difficult to get from the States to Poland. Uh, no, be... but the various countries I'd have to go through yeah, right. um, in order to get there right. um, might be challenging and the uh, quarantine restrictions and stuff like you that. You don't I'm think sure. there's a direct flight to Warsaw from the States? There must be. Yeah, I mean, there would be from um, uh, San Fran yeah. or uh, LA and maybe via New York. Yeah, I don't I don't think Seattle. Seattle's quite small. You know, yeah, no, so. I know. But you just yeah. you just get a little plane from there today. You don't have to quarantine then. And you... No, that's right. Yeah. They haven't instituted this as uh, you know, another conversation altogether, a uh, digital sort of vaccine passport system yet in the, the US. So I have my little CDC card for my two shots of 5G juice that I've had uh, um, you know, keeping me from the plague. I, you know, I'm, I'm fully vaccinated now, Paul, so I've been going around to the local Walmart, licking the floor, saying, <laughs> come and get me, Rona. Not defeating me, folks. Nice. Um, you're indestructible at this point. Um, Man United's need is not quite indestructible, but it's nearly indestructible. Um, I predicted, I think I predicted, oh no, I was going to say, I think maybe you predicted a nil-nil draw against Liverpool. Um I did. Well, I was right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, well done. I, As of speaking I, at uh, half seven at night. I can't believe we didn't predict uh, that the game wouldn't happen because top reds are top reds. Fletcher scores were going on the pitch. <laughs> did, if, did he score if, in training if, this if week? If Fletcher is appointed direct technical director of the club, we're on the pitch. Is that, is that, <laughs> right. is that what we're saying? Um, yeah. A momentous day in the history of the sport. Let's hope, let's hope something comes of it. I guess we'll, uh, I guess we're playing someone else next weekend. I honestly, at this point, I cannot think that far forward. So um, we we have to find out who that is and do a prediction of that game because it's the it, rules. It is, uh, it is Aston Villa. Oh. Who, who, by the way, um, were very good in beating Everton yesterday. Everton were um, so. bad. Everton have been bad for a while now. Um, but Aston Villa are above uh, Arsenal in the league, having played the same number of games, which is good. <laughs> it's much to be encouraged. Really good. Ollie, Ollie Watkins scored a really good goal, robbing uh, robbing a defender and um, you know, used his speed and, and uh, he's a good finisher as well. So, yeah, yeah that, that, will, um, that will be challenging for United's uh, somewhat statuesque defenders. Um, but, you know, obviously, obviously a game United should win against the Villa team that's been up and down um, 
you know, of late, uh, not not nearly as good in the second half of the season as they were in the first. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is I think this is a game that you actually really don't want the weekend after a big European semi final because um, I think they'll be they'll be mega 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 up for this game. And actually, in some ways, that's been Villa's sort of stories. They've they've kind of slightly tailed off as they've been so successful. But I'm sure that you know, having got the they'll have their tails up after that win against Everton and oh for you know, sure. And it's really hard to give some context to this, really, because, you know, it, as it stands, United could end up playing on the Monday. We'll see. It'd be a surprise. Um, assuming they don't. What you mean? At least playing tomorrow? Tomorrow. I, I yeah. actually think it's that they surely with the game on Thursday, they're not going to make them play this game. on. The yeah, it's, it would be the best choice, but I don't, I don't know whether it'd be allowed by the authorities or, or whether they can repair the stadium or find any balls in time. <laughs> um, uh, but assuming they don't. Um, they'll have had a bit more of a break than expected, a full week to that Roma game. Um, and given the lead, the possibility of making quite a bit of rotation. Um, I, you know, I hope so, especially given like Bruno a, a game day off would be very sensible indeed, I think. If, if Donny van der Beek can't get a game with United 4-0 up at kickoff, it, you know, it's a sad situation, isn't it? Um, I mean, that so was hopefully going with a bit fresher to that Villa game. The most used joke today was definitely that these people have all had more minutes on the pitch this season than Donny van der Beek. That was definitely the, the most frequently um, used joke of the day. Um, the other joke that was done that did the rounds after the Roma game, which I wanted to mention, was uh, Oli Solskjaer has set up his entire career as an Alex Ferguson tribute act and... The fact that we beat Roma 6-2 is such a perfect tribute act result compared to the 7-1. Like, the only thing that was wrong was that Fred didn't score two of the goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. By the way, can we just a quick aside about Ollie? Because, you know, I think we do have our doubts um, sure. on this sure. show about his quality as a manager. But, but um, for, you know, and, and uh, set this in the context that we all want United to be what we expect United to be, which is you know, a massive super club that wins lots of stuff all the time and is challenging for the title. But where he came from, you know, a squad in total disarray after Mourinho and going backwards, um, uh, 30-something points behind the leaders at the time he took over, to where we are now, haven't really made a challenge for the title, you know, for sure. C- City uh, could have won the league this weekend if United had lost to Liverpool yeah are going to win the league at some point if it's not next weekend it'll be the weekend afterwards it's going to happen no if we keep stopping all the fixtures from happening (laughs) that's true that's true yeah um but so it's not been a proper title challenge um but United are the best of the rest um it was a failure in Europe in the first half of the season didn't manage um you know the the game against RB Leipzig well at all total disaster class um, in Istanbul, um, but has put together a strong second half of the season. You know, mostly good results, some some good performances. You know, in there, not always. Um, some you know really stunning performances at times. Southampton, Roma game, uh, and look to be putting together you know a really good Europa League run. Should be favourites against Villarreal or Arsenal. Could could come home with the trophy. Finally broken the semi final curse. Not yet, he hasn't. Happens. Not yet, but you know, should do. Um, you know, can we just say like some praise for for Ollie and the job he's doing? He's clearly massively respected by the players. Exactly. Like you know, they are clearly like 
you know, far from being the PE teacher, they 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 are at one with him as a manager and the direction they're trying to go as a team. You know, and, and another thing that's worth mentioning is is today was the first time that Manchester United fans have gathered en masse, really en masse, for a really long time. And one of the things they wanted to do when they were gathered en masse is sing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer songs. So, like, you know, um, uh, there is there remains a divide between uh, what I would say are, like, um, especially the more sort of um, tactical, analytical type of fans online. Um, uh, and And you know match going reds like ole has a huge approval rating among match going reds which obviously he would have a much bigger one than most people would on average anyway because he's only going to Solskjaer but he is he's doing I don't know how he could be doing a much better job than he is currently doing having said that when you look at the games between the teams who are really at the top of the European game we're still miles apart from that, except in little brilliant moments. Um, sure, so. absolutely, and 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 um, some of that, Ollie's incrementally supporting the team's development. I agree, on the pitch. but it is in- incremental, you know. And we have a style. Yeah, it's um, it feels a kind of you know sort of classic. It's forty-three-one classic European style possession football, but not tiki-taka. Um, great, fantastic on the counter, uh, and with lots of creative players, have a lot of freedom, right? You know, that's our kind of style. It would be enhanced massively by having some security at the back and in defensive midfield, Abs- no doubt. Absolutely. Um, but so there's a direction. Yeah, the rest of it, I think, is up to the club to release the finances and Murtar and and um, judge to go and secure the right players to take this you know team forward a little bit yeah you know um i, I did want to shout out to um I, I don't know whether you've seen this account maram per 90 who does oh spectacular visualizations yeah, fantastic of, of, work especially on on united of of you know some of the some of the stuff but i i um yeah don't always call out um accounts on this show but i really enjoy that one for um what they what she does um yeah i was going to invite uh, her on lovely visualization of um united's passing network uh, against Roma and also Paul Pogba recently. Um, I was going to invite her onto the show, funnily enough, to see if she yeah. see if she had any interest. No idea whether she would or not, because I, I, I've only come across that account in the last two or three months, I think, and it is definitely one of the best. That and United Arena, UTD Arena, do this incredibly in-depth. I mean, that, that person has tens of thousands so of percent. followers, right? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some interesting views. Uh, very anti Ollie that that account. Um, oh no, you must be. We must. What well, used to be. We must be talking. Are we talking about purposes. different accounts? Yeah, I think we're okay. talking at cross purposes because no, absolutely not. Extremely kind of supportive of the manager and and arguing that they deserve more praise than they're getting as well. Um, Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that uh, we didn't really talk about Pogba much. I, I mean. Oh yeah, well, I want to go back to the Roma game for a second. Sorry, because this this Luke Shaw is unfreaking believable now. Like he was incredible in the second half of that game, and Paul Pogba is like the the day Pogba signs his new Man United contract. I'm going out in the street and doing a dance of happiness because <laughs> the yeah. amount that all this kind of progress and hope and like if we can keep. Pogba for another couple of seasons then you can there's something you could build here that guy oh, yeah true he was magnificent yeah. in that game I mean Bruno oh, was he, too. absolutely magnificent I mean I um look he's been liberated in this position he it's it's much closer 
to the position he held at, at Juve, where he was on the left side of a three in midfield and had sort of licence to roam. He doesn't have to do the things that are the weaknesses in his game, which is the more defensive side of his game, um, nearly as much or if at all because of the double pivot behind. Um, you know, there's there's trade-offs to doing that. And, and the big the big trade-off is Marcus Rashford having to move to the right where he's, you know, he hasn't got the support of Luke Shaw behind him because, you know, Shaw has turned himself into uh, Roberto Carlos, but he doesn't have Cafu on the other side because Juan Bazaka, who's, you know, he does get forward and got forward a lot, um, but doesn't provide the kind of support. He needs the overlapping support, Marcus Rashford, to give the license to him to cut inside. And when he does cut inside, he's on the wrong foot. And defenders know that. Um, and I did think he got quite successfully run into channels quite a lot um, against Roma. He did, and I think you're right, but it's probably worth noting that Wan-Bissaka was instrumental in two of United's goals um, in a way that he hasn't necessarily been because he's given so much space. He was he fired across the shot from the right-hand side that um, led to one of the goals, and I think he put in the cross that led to the um, Cavani tap-in as well. So like they, they gave him a lot of space and he, he made them pay for it. So maybe... Rashford was creating a bit of that room, but I was asked on Twitter. I can't remember who it was by. I might be able to find it really quickly, but it was um, it was about uh, the comparison between uh, Marcus Rashford playing on the right hand side and Johnny Bairstow uh, being moved up and down the order um, for England, um, and you don't get the best out of him. But actually, what I think it's more about is it's about um, the argument that has been largely overridden of uh, Joss Butler playing as a finisher in the T20 side rather than as an opener. Because even though his best position is opener, the weakness United have is uh, England have in that area is a, with a finisher. Um, but ultimately, you're better off playing Butler there. I feel like it's a bit like that with uh, playing Pogba at the left. Like Playing Pogba in his best position is worth making other people, you know, is, is worth the sacrifice because you get so much out of having him playing in this best position. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that is right. It'd be interesting to see whether they think about, I mean, because the way to you know, square the circle might be with the diamond um, and have fewer compromises but um, and, and play two up front. But we'll see. Um, I, you know, I, Oli has tried that on occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, interesting numbers on Wan-Bissaka. Um, he's in the 64th percentile, four fullbacks for assists. So, you know... Um, a little better than half. He's in the 18th percentile amongst fullbacks for expected assists. Yeah. Um, which is the better metric. And I, I think that kind of ranks where he is. You know, he's um, he's still a very good defender in the way he, not positionally perhaps, <laughs> um, but uh, certainly in the execution. Um, but those numbers would say he's he's quite a poor attacking contributor uh, from fullback, and and you know a, a shame really because if Luke Shaw was right footed, this version of Luke Shaw would have real strength over there as well. But that's the key, right? We always we lock footballers in amber, like oh this is what you are. Like at the beginning of this season, we were saying the official rank cast, the official no question about that agenda was Luke Shaw. Like Luke Shaw was the worst player in the starting eleven. He's the first name on the team sheet now. He's oh, absolutely like, yeah, and and that progression. Sorry, I interrupted you. Okay. But it's, it almost it feels like it almost came out of nowhere. You know, we weren't expecting this from Luke Shaw this season. No, and so 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wambasaka, who, you know, we saw last season, actually, as the season went on, his attacking output improved slightly. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see his attacking output get better because I think it's got better. I think he's he's got better as the season's gone on going forward. And, and the more, you know, if... I don't think we're going to see the situation where player where other teams give Wambasaka the space that they've been giving him in order to double up uh, on other players for forever. So, so I, th- I think Wambasaka's um, you know strengths are he he does get forward. I mean he has been getting forward. He's um, he's in the 69th percentile for progressive carries. So it's you know taking the ball forward. Um, but he's um, he's in the 28th percentile for shot creating actions and and the 18th percentile for expected assists, right? So that tells you he's getting forward quite a lot. Um, he, you know he's good carrying the ball. He's perhaps doing less of the Valencia thing and turning back and, and passing it backwards. But his output is um, not very good. But I, but moment. that's not the point I'm making because um, that is presumably over the whole. No, of you're the saying season. he. That's how over the whole of the season you're you're saying in the second half of the season he's getting better and maybe we'll see a great. Mm-hmm. I hope we do. I really hope we do. And I, you know, and and Luke Shaw should serve as um as a as a beacon for what he could become. Yeah. Um. If he and I hope he's working on his game in the right way because clearly Luke Shaw's gone away and gone. My problem here is my focus and dedication and fitness. And if I can sort all of that out, I can be a really good player. Or someone has told him that and the pennies finally clicked. Because I know a lot of people were telling him that. Well, it was um, it was telling in the build-up to the Roma game. He did the, the media with Solskjaer. He was asked about it and he said one of the reasons is the person sitting here. You know, he's quite sheepish about it. But clearly, one of the things that Solskjaer has done a remarkable job of is getting the best out of Luke Shaw. I mean, he's, he's a... You know, he's one of United's most important assets now, as opposed to a player that, like, we definitely needed to upgrade at the beginning of the season. And now we definitely do not, you know, where you basically couldn't. There basically isn't anyone you could upgrade him with. So, yeah, what a season. Um, All right. So predictions for the scores against Roma and whoever it was you said. Oh, Aston Villa. Uh, Roma won all. Who knows? Should, should I hope it? Yeah, dead, dead rubber that one. Aston Villa. Well, I, you know, I hope this and say we're fresh enough. We're fresh enough to say a two-one victory at Villa. Yeah, I mean the fact that it's at Villa, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna ride the narrative and say we're gonna win two-one uh, on the break, two goals on the break in uh, in the Europa League, and we're gonna beat Aston Villa three-one. There you go. Those are my predictions. Luke Shaw, by the way, yeah. just sorry, go back to that one. 81st percentile for assists, 88th percentile for expected assists, 98th percentile for shot-creating actions. I mean, that's that incredible. Is an attacking fullback, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, like, when we've talked about Luke Shaw's numbers on this show before, it has not been in 98th percentile terms, has it, you know? No, except for errors leading to goal. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Um, Patreon backers, obviously, stay tuned. Everyone else, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye now. (laughs) 